And thank God once again, and this is Pastor Adams, president and founder of Truth Matters Ministries. Thank God today that you've taken time to join this podcast of Truth Matters. And we're just so excited that we have the opportunity to be attendants and also to be custodians of this very vital ministry of contending for the faith that has once and for all been delivered unto the saints. And we've been in a series, episodes concerning spiritual warfare. We've shared about the helmet of salvation. We've had opportunity to share on the breastplate of righteousness, having our loins gird about with the gospel of peace. We're going to continue that today, but before we do, we want to just pause and pray. Now, Father, we thank you once again for your manifold blessings. We thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness. We give your name praise because we know that you are the ancient of days. You are the first and the last. You are our omniscient, our all-powerful God. We thank you, Lord God, that everything about us you care. We thank you today, Lord God, that your eye, it goeth to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom you can show yourself big to. We give your name praise, God, because we know that you have everything under control. There is nothing that happens in our lives, Lord God, that's outside of your scope or your ability to intercede. We give your name praise and we thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. And before we get into our teaching today, we're mindful of what was spoken by Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson said that lies run sprints, but truth, it runs marathons. We're also mindful of the words that were spoken by C.S. Lewis. He said that our thirst was made for water, but our inquiries were made for truth. And of course, we're mindful of the words that were spoken by Adam Schiff as he was giving final remarks at the Donald Trump Uh, impeachment hearings, he said, right matters, truth matters, and without truth, he says, we're lost. And today, in this Truth Matters broadcast, we want to speak the truth that you as members of the body of Christ and those of you who are seeking to know Christ can be established upon a firm foundation. And as we continue in our teaching on the weapons of our warfare and the spiritual armor. I want to just say that we need a gospel that is formed for God's purpose from eternity. It must be designed and have infinite wisdom wrought out with tremendous expense that costs nothing less than the precious blood of Jesus Christ brought home by infinite power of the Holy Spirit. A gospel full of blessings, one that will outweigh the world in price. A gospel that is free as it is full. A gospel that we can't thank too much. A gospel whose praises we can never really exaggerate. The gospel from it is its choicest essence, which is its peace. Now from this gospel of peace, those sandals are prepared where a man can tread on the lion as well as the adder, and even the fierce burning coals of malice, even slander and persecution. Indeed, the priceless material in which God has fitted our feet for readiness in this battle against the rulers and authorities and wicked powers of darkness in heavenly places is nothing less than the 
gospel of peace. Paul's preaching emphasized making peace with God. We were enemies of God. You know it. We were foreigners and we were pilgrims and aliens who were absolutely hostile to God. We were unregenerate with an inbred disdain for God and his will. Now that we have reconciled unto him through his redemptive work, we have received forgiveness. He's also given us imputation and adoption into his royal family. So what do we do? We can sing praises to God for what he's done. No, God does not promise a panacea, but he does promise peace through life's trials, test, sickness, struggles, and even our cross-bearing. As we walk in the peace of God, we have peace within ourselves and with others. No, we can't make everyone love us. You've tried and you failed at that. But you know what we can control? We can love everyone. When we are fitted with the gospel of peace, we can confidently canvas the canons of conflict and controversies with other Christians. See, an unwillingness to think badly or stand against anyone is a sandal on our foot that's easy to wear, protecting it from men and from thorns. You can wear it in the church. You can wear it in holy service among your Christian programs and among your Christian brothers. You will find your way among the brethren very smooth. But before long, you will win their love and admiration, avoiding a world of opposition which would normally impede your path. The priceless covering into which our feet are fitted affords peace to the unconverted. Solomon said it this way. He said, when a man's ways are pleasing to God, even his enemies will be at peace with him. The gospel of peace is a preview of our promise of shalom, shalom, or perfect peace. What is going to be in that perfect paradise? Peace is an unperfected process, but as soldiers of the cross, we must continue on towards the promise. One day we will step over the threshold into perfect peace, like a budding flower. It blossoms when it's warm and bright outside, but it also shrivels when it's cold and dark. When we're in heaven, just like the flower, we will be in constant, full-blown throughout all eternities, throughout everlasting. It will be one step away from perfect peace. As Paul put it, those who he justified, he also glorified. With the gospel of peace, God personifies such readiness when he renewed us with his word. In my mind, thinks of Horatio Spafford and if you and my listening audience are not familiar with Horatio Spafford, he is the gentleman who wrote one of the great hymns in the history of the world. And in the words of his hymn, he said, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, even more profound than the words themselves of this hymn are the context in which they were written. Many of you may not know that Spafford's son had recently died and he lost all of his real estate interests in the infamous Chicago fire of 1878. 
and even more tragically, Horatio Spafford's daughters, Bessie, Annie, Maggie, and Tanetta were all killed in the Atlantic Ocean when their vessel, the SS Via Durva, was broadsided by an English vessel. And he lost everything that was dear to him. But yet in the midst of the rolling billows that stole his prized possessions and relations, his words continued to spill over from the depths of a broken heart. He said, though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss, this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds will re-roll back like a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. A song in the night, oh, my soul. This was not a man who sought Jesus Christ as a magical mantra, who he thought would alleviate all his pains and sufferings, but he was one who abided in the covering of Christ's peace within himself and with others. Yes, peace will make all things well in our soul. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And as we continue in the armor of God, we're going to share and teach on another aspect of our armor that's going to allow us to be victorious in this spiritual war. And that is we must have our loins gird with truth. During court proceedings, we put our left hands on Bibles and we put our right hands in the air and we affirm to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Patrick Fitzgerald, who was the lead prosecutor in the famous Scooter Libby trial, said truth is the engine of the justice system. And without truth, we don't have anything. The core of any communication, any transaction or relationship is based upon trust that can only be built upon truth. One can only look at the 2016 presidential election and see where Donald Trump lied 91% of the time during his campaign based upon Washington Post and New York Times data gathering and fact checking. Truth has lost its potency and it's lost its prominence in the lives of people today. Satan has championed lies and deception and omissions to attempt to destroy God's children. See, the part of our armor That is the center of our being is under the girding of truth. This girding brings endurance and strength for spiritual battle. The part of the body that supports and bears its weight is the abdomen and the hips. The center of the body supports all the weight and provides strength. This is the part of the armor that protects but allows us to endure. 
How many of us start our life's endeavors and aspirations with zeal and earnestness and determination, but don't have the endurance to continue or to win the race? This endurance and strength is sustained by truth. This truth, which is Jesus Christ, his presence, his person, and his reliability of his promises, is the Holy Word, Sola Scriptura, the Bible. Now, if the enemy of our soul, the devil, can get us to lose sight and confidence in the truth, we then lose our spiritual life support. We also lose our supply to endure and to maintain our strength to survive in spiritual combat. The joy of the Lord is our strength and the truth of God's salvation, righteousness, brings peace and strength to endure in spiritual warfare. This part of our armor possesses our spiritual nourishment, our water, our food, our ammunition, us being able to have medical first aid and spiritual flashlights to provide subsistence during warfare. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He prayed to the Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus has declared, knowing the truth will make you free. Knowing the truth is one thing, but standing for the truth is quite another. How do we know we're standing for the truth? How do we know? Those of you who've listened to this podcast today, do we condone or Stay silent when others walk or speak outside or against the truth? Are we so diplomatic? Are we so detached? Have we lost our passion for truth? That we say, well, I'd rather have peace than to have conflict. I don't want to stand up for the truth because it might cause a problem. And see, there's a a disease that we have in the body of Christ, and the disease is not COVID-19. The disease that we've had for 2,000 years is a disease called non-rock-de-botus. What did you say, Pastor Adams? The disease is called non-rock-de-botus. And we're so concerned about rocking the boat. We go along with anything. We don't wave our blood-stained banner. We don't take our spiritual weapons. We don't take our crosses and bear them and align ourselves to fight against lies and deception and false doctrine. See, do we condone it or do we just stay silent? Don't you know that your silence is interpreted as agreement? When people say, hey, yes, it's okay. The Bible's not necessarily true. We can study the Quran. We can study the Book of Mormon. We can study the Vedas. Everybody has their own truth. There is not just one way to heaven. There's many ways. And you're intolerant if you say that my homosexual lesbian lifestyle and and my perversion and my pedophilia and all the things that I'm doing is okay. If you don't accept it, then you're intolerant. And we want to just get along. We don't want to rock the boat. Are we so concerned with maintaining a good standing with people that we stay, stay silent when truth is distorted or corrupted? Do we take time to reason with people when false teachings like Islam? How many times do you pull the shutter down, put a do not disturb sign on your door instead of welcoming that Jehovah Witness and sharing with him about the truth? What about your friends and your cousins and your loved ones who 
always are talking about astrology and they live their life based upon being a Sagittarian, being a Leo, being a Gemini or whatever their sign is. Do you tell them the error of that? What about your friends who are involved in the word of faith movement and are involved in esoteric experiences and are involved in psychic phenomena like Ekinkar and involved in astral projection and Rosicrucian theosophy, Scientology, Christian science, etc.? Do you just say, okay, oh, well, that's just them? Or do you stand for truth? It is our charge to preach and declare the gospel to the whole world. Not just in the comfortable environment of the ones who already are saved and agree with the gospel. The Apostle Paul took the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and throughout the entire world. He preached to pagans in Greece and to the demonic strongholds in Ephesus and Rome. He was beaten with rods and as a result of his evangelistic fervor, he had beatings with whips. He was tortured. He was in prison, thrown out of cities, left for dead. We must be light, but we also must be salt when we're standing for truth. We must walk in the fruit of the spirit, but in the power of it as well. We live in a world devoid of absolutes. Pastors now agree and condone condone same-sex marriage and homosexuality, abortion, discrimination and xenophobia and racism and greed and materialism and exploitation. Many advocate these ungodly things are supported by God's word. But we as soldiers of the gospel must be strong and we must endure hardness as a good soldiers standing on the truth that supports us in this warfare. Thank God today. In the next area in which we're going to discuss, which is a part of our our weapons of warfare and our armor is the sword of the spirit. I know many combatants, they practice the skills necessary to be effective in actual combat. They're trained and then evaluated on their skills. They have offensive as well as defensive skills. There must be exact directions and procedures that govern our actions in combat. I know for all the years that I trained for combat and being deployed and preparing to be deployed for combat, it was so important that we had our battle plan, our our LDA, our GDP, our FD-1300 battle plans. We had so many battle plans that we rehearsed and that we actually executed so that we would be effective in combat. In the modern military, there are manuals that outline various tactics that are required to win and survive in war. They include survival skills as well as lethal skills to be successful in warfare. Now, the critical nuance of fighting with a sword is this weapon is offensive, but it's also defensive. A person or a soldier who used used swords in the past, they had to use that weapon very skillfully in both modes simultaneously. See, the potency of this tactic is the indispensable component of the spirit. The spirit is the living, cerebral, powerful person who empowers us in combat. That's why we have to depend upon the spirit and we have to be led by the spirit. The spirit energizes us with wisdom. It gives us split second direction and guidance that elevates us above our enemies. Thank you, Jesus. We have supernatural insight from Almighty God that allows us to overpower the enemy. Jesus says, rejoice not that you have power over the enemy only, 
because we do have power over him. But he says, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus says he gave us power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt us. In Luke 4, during the wilderness temptation, Satan drew his sword and said, Jesus, it is written. Satan will always use a familiar term that will not alarm us for battle. So he used the familiar words of it is written to make Jesus defensive, to make Jesus non-defensive rather. And he sent a counterfeit word to capture our attention, to disarm us with a perverted message is his goal of inserting a distorted representation of the word of God. I want you to remember this. Satan will tell an ocean of truth to hide a pint of poison. With that little pint of poison, it's deadly lethal. But Jesus drew the sword of the spirit and responded with truth, the word of God. Jesus told the wicked adversary, okay, let me tell you, it's written as well. You draw your sword, I'm going to draw my sword. You gave a perverted, distorted word, I'm going to give you truth. And I'm going to give you absolutes. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, this is the key to wielding the sword of the spirit. We must be aware, grounded and established in the word. The vital component in our arsenal is God, the Holy Spirit, energizing and empowering the scripture to teach and to preach, which we will expose every lie, convert and it it will expose every, every covert agenda, every demonic strategy and tactic. It will penetrate the hard heart and the hungry soul with refreshing life-giving nourishment. The world is in hunger for the church to stand up and declare it is written. Repent. Accept Jesus' love, his justice, and his completed work on Calvary to save us from our sin. It must be declared day and night, people of God. Yes, you must love everyone. You must be born again. Live peaceably with our God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Flee fornication and adultery, stealing and murder, telling lies and put God first. There are a lot of words that must be spoken, but not all are the pure words from God's heart and mouth. The power of our sword is also being skilled in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. We must study to show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing and fitting the words of Scripture together. We must major in the essentials of the Christian faith, the morality and character and the nature of God's holiness and principles must be modeled, defended and proclaimed before we are really going to be victorious in spiritual warfare. This power of the Spirit is energized by our righteous living, our fruit bearing and affirm and stand in presentation of the gospel to the world. And we're going to share with the few moments we have left the other aspect of the gospel and our weapons of warfare, which is called the shield of faith. Today we see more and more advertisements and telecasts for extreme sports. You know what? But history speaks of Christ followers having extreme faith. 
Even the Old Testament, we see the example of Job. Here is a man who endured the most tragedy in one day than most of us can experience in a lifetime. Imagine if all your life you were very healthy and wealthy with a large estate and family which you love more than anything but God. But in an instant, you lost it all. Your possessions, your perfect health. You were stricken with an open poison and sore boils from head to toe. Here is a man who was revered and was a shining example of success and morality and uprightness. And then the bottom just falls out. Your social image and spiritual status is changed drastically. And in fact, it's called into question by the society and friends. Satan attacked Job after God bragged about Job's life his righteousness and his faithfulness. In what we consider the wager of the ages, Satan declared that if he could touch Job with physical, material, and social loss, that he would make Job curse God to his face. See, Satan saw Job's faith as fickle and fleeting, but God saw his faith as firm and faultless. Job held firm to his faith, even in the midst of the roller coaster of emotions. Job's faith caused him to cry out, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Know this, Satan can scorch our shield with his fiery darts, but he could not sear Job's soul. Paul said, Take the shield of faith, that you may be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. As the ancient shield envelops the whole body, the shield of faith envelops our entire beating. Just as when Satan wants to attack our head, the hand of faith holds fast to truth. When Satan attacks our heart, the hand of faith holds fast to righteousness. It is the apex of the Christian armor, for it covers all the other parts of our war clothes. This is vital since all other pieces of our armor must work in conjunction with faith. Soldiers in ancient warfare requested that if they fell in combat, they wanted to be buried with their shield in hand. This is the piece of armor that protected him from the onslaught of the enemy. The effectiveness of the faith is knowing who God is. His salvation, grace, and atonement, justification, and sweet fellowship. We must know what faith is. It is the channel of living trust. It's the assurance that God who spoke and promised is reliable. God, who is the object of faith, who renders faith faithful. The greatest act of faith is trusting God when it's uncomfortable, even when it's dangerous and it appears futile. Job held on to faith through great trial. Paul held on to faith despite persecutions and beatings and being shipwrecked and being naked. He kept faith and boldly proclaimed that he finished his course and had assurance that there was a reward that was waiting for us. Hebrews 11, it talks about faith's hall of fame. God's servants throughout the generations who wrought persecutions, hardships, and tragedy never lost their faith. And it's so important that we as members of the body of Christ, that we hold on to our faith through trife, through life's trials and tribulations. And we thank God for you joining this Truth Matters podcast. And we will continue on next week sharing in how we can be successful in the spiritual warfare and how we can wear the armor that God has provided us that we might have victory in Jesus name. You pray for us. Amen.